From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. This is Barry Winters at Masters Insurance and Trust. Oh, hi, Barry. It's been years. Sure, Johnny. Because we don't usually have trouble with our accounts. You mean you didn't? Huh? Until now. Well, yeah, I'm afraid that's about the size of it. And this time it's bad trouble. Tell me all. Simplex Tackle Company, Johnny, over in Danbury. Fishing tackle? That's right. Oh, how come? I never heard of them. Well, they're a small outfit, a kind of glorified partnership. What's that mean? Well, it's owned by nine men. One of them, Hanley Thomas, is president. The others are secretary, treasurer, and a flock of vice presidents. So what's happened? Well, the nine of them, plus the 20 or 30 workers at the plant, are all covered by a group life insurance deal. And listen. Yeah? We've just had to pay off on three policies in a row. Well, that's too bad. But why call on me? Because, Johnny. Why? Those three deaths were all murders. Bob Bailey in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. And now, Act One of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Masters Insurance and Trust Company Home Office, Hartford, Connecticut. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the ugly pattern matter. Expense account item one, a dollar even taxi to Barry Winters' office at Masters, where I hoped he could give me something more to work on than he had over the phone. And you know something? As it turned out, he gave me a lot more than he thought he did. The police? Sure, they've been working on these murders, Johnny, but they haven't come up with anything, except a theory that one man is behind them all. Why, Barry? Because the victims have all been members of the Simplex Tackle Company. Well, but I don't... Because they've all occurred within a month, because each of them occurred on a Wednesday pattern, huh? That's right. And also, Johnny, because there's been no apparent reason for any of them. Uh-huh. Have the police found anything? Nothing. Hmm. Same kind of weapon used in each case? No. The first was a VP named Adams, run over by a car. Sure it wasn't accidental. The police say no. The second, John Bowers, was strangled, and Frank Dalvers was shot in his own home. No pattern there. I mean, in the way they occurred. Apparently not. But Hanley Thomas and the police don't agree. Thomas is president of Simplex, you said. And a real financial wizard. Used to be a promoter. Not much ethics, but a sharp businessman. As a friend or partner, I imagine he's... Well, he's a fine man. Here, here. I'll give you a complete list of the officers of the company, their rank and their salary. Well, I don't know exactly what good that'll be. Here you are. And this is a list of the employees. Have those employees all been checked out? Sergeant Dennis over there at Homicide made quite a point of it. So did Mr. Thomas. Well, look, why don't I run over there and talk with him and to the Danbury police? Yeah, I think you'd better. And, Johnny, the sooner the better. Why do you say that? The pattern. There are still six officers left in that company. That is, six who are still alive. Item two, another buck for a cab back to my apartment. There I picked up my own car, and from here on in, the charge will be for mileage. Except for item three, four and a quarter for a tank of mobile gas. It was almost noon by the time I'd covered the 60-odd miles to the Simplex factory on the far edge of Danbury. To my surprise, it was quite a plant, new and modern in every way. 
A receptionist took my card, and a few minutes later, I was ushered into the office of Hanley Thomas, president. Oh, this is a terrible thing. Adams, Bowers, Frank Dalvers, all within a few weeks. Barry Winters, back in Hartford, seems to think these murders have all been the work of one man. Police and I concur in that theory. There's been a sort of pattern followed by the crazy killer. But not an actual method, Mr. Thomas. No, no, I'll grant you that's true. Car accident, strangling, pistol shot. But they were done by someone who must have been very familiar with his victims. How do you mean? Well, someone who knew, for instance, that Ben Adams took a long walk alone each night. He knew the route that he took. Same thing applied to the second victim? John Bowers always drove to work through a little woods. It was there he was stopped and strangled. Frank Dalvers always stayed at home alone on Wednesday nights while his wife was out playing bridge. Someone broke in on him, huh? Have the police checked that? Well, it was someone he must have let in. In other words, someone he knew. Mm, That's a possibility, I suppose. I understand you've checked on all your employees. Yes, right off the bat, as much as we... Or rather, as much as the police could. Any particular reason to suspect one of them? Well, only because they were all in position to know these men pretty well. Know their habits. We're a small company, Mr. Dollar. Our employees, including the girls in the office, only number 21. That was your only reason to think one of them may have done it? Oh, of course, we've had our share of labor troubles, a few dissidents in the ranks, so to speak. I suppose some of them resent the rather top-heavy management here. You mean the fact there are nine executives to only 21 employees, huh? Yes, and I must confess the profits have been pretty good lately. Barry Winters gave me a list of, uh... uh, Here it is. Now, according to this, all of these... What is it, Mr. Dollar? Well, I, I got thinking on the way over here. Yes? Part of the pattern you mentioned, the three men were killed in, well, in alphabetical order. What? Well, yes. Adams, Bowers, Dalvers. But now that I look at this list again... Of course. The pattern again. No, no, I think that was just coincidence. The pattern, if there is one, is based on their order of rank. That is, if these salary figures mean anything. Well, I'm not sure I understand. Well, look, first was Adams at the lowest salary among you officers. Oh, well, yes, Adams received 12000 a year. Yeah, look. Bowers came in next at thirteen five. You're right. And Frank Dalvers earned 15000 So, if this pattern should continue... You, you, you mean to say you think there might be more of these murders? If this pattern continues, the next to go would be... Good heaven. Would be James Williams or Charles Hart, both earning sixteen five. Then a couple of more. Then you, Mr. Thomas. Mr. Dolly. Where will I find James Williams? Well, Williams is on vacation, a little place not far from here, Parvin's Pond. When did he leave? Last week, on Monday. Have you heard from him? No, no, I haven't, but... Of course, if the alphabetical pattern is the right theory. Oh, excuse me. Yes? Sergeant Dennis, Mr. Thomas. Oh, it's the sergeant at homicide, Mr. Dolly. So I hear. I'll hold the phone so you can Mr. get ready. Mr. Thomas. Uh, yes, Sergeant. I'm afraid I have some bad news for you. Oh? Another one of your partners. Williams. Mr. John Williams. Yes? Discovered his body over at Parvin's Pond this morning. He's been murdered. Good Lord. Act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. And now, act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, and the ugly pattern matters. Another of the executives of the Simplex Tackle Company murdered. 
bludgeoned to death in his little vacation cabin on Parvin's Pond, some 40 miles north of Danbury. And again, it was according to Paddock. How those carefree kids confession water ski out there when there's been a murder right under their noses. Yes, Sergeant, I know what you mean. This the cabin Mr. Williams was using? Yes, sir. He came up here on his vacation Monday morning last week alone. There we are. Who knew he was coming to this particular spot, Sergeant? Why, everybody down at the plant, I guess. Now, the way the doc and I figured it out, Mr. Williams had just come in from fishing. Now, you see there, he just tossed his rod and stringer on the bed. Yeah. Everything's just the way it was, huh? Except for his body. That's in Danbury at the coroner's. You said he was bludgeoned to death. Yeah, with that oar from his rowboat. You see it uh, laying there on the floor? Yeah, I see. Who found his body? Little old lady from the cabin next door. She'd stopped by this morning to bring him some cookies. Knocked on the door, the door swung open, and there he was. And the doc says the body was lying there ever since. Have you checked that oar for prints? The killer must have used gloves. What about footprints? Well, if there were any, the vacation crowd tramped them out long before we got here. Now, the way we figure is that he came in here Wednesday night off the lake. Wednesday? Yes, Mr. Dollar, just like the other ones. It happened on Wednesday a week ago tomorrow. The pattern again. Yes, sir. And if you ask me, it's the pattern of a madman. And this being a Tuesday again... But what possible motive could there be for it? When you ask me, it's one of the employees there at the plant. After all, for such a small company, nine big money-making officers, at least there was nine. Yeah, I know what you mean. Are those 21 employees paid pretty well? Nope. In spite of the company making a lot of money. What with this recession we're in? I'll read the signs, man. Most of this so-called recession's a lot of bunk. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. Everybody get out and dig instead of sitting around hoarding their money. Well, what I was going to say is that those executives took advantage and held down wages in spite of all the money they're making. So just let one crazy hothead find out how good they're doing. How well have you checked those employees? The best we could. I talked with every one of them myself. How about the officers of the company? There's not one of them would do a thing like that. They're all fine men. Ask Mr. Thomas. Sure, they're hard-headed businessmen. Everyone looking out for himself, but they're all fine men. And they're all making plenty of money. Oh, which reminds me. Hmm? Uh, what's that, Mr. Dollar? A list of the officers and their salaries. And according to this, if there's to be another victim... Another? Oh, no. I've worked out another step in the pattern of these murders based on the earnings of these men. Then, Mr. Dollar, who will it be? It won't be anybody if I can help it. But, Sergeant, I may have to ask you to put a 24-hour watch over an officer of that company named Mr. Charles Hart. I didn't bother explaining my own idea of the pattern to Sergeant Dennis. After all, my theory could be wrong. But I drove back to the Simplex factory, to the office of Charles Hart. I found only a secretary there. No, he isn't here, Mr. Dollar. Well, where is he? To be perfectly honest about it, I don't know. Hasn't he been in at all today? No, sir. Hasn't been in since about last Wednesday. Look, Miss, uh, Miss, uh, whatever your name is, have you called his home, his wife? He's a bachelor, Mr. Dollar, and lives in a little apartment in Danbury. Have you tried to call him? Well, no, sir. You see, there was Does no... Mr. Thomas know about his not being here? There's nothing unusual about Charlie's leaving without telling us, Mr. Dollar. Oh, Mr. Thomas. He often goes off on sales trips like this. He was last seen the day Mr. Williams was killed. Well, surely you don't think Charlie Hart had anything to do with Jim Williams being... Oh, no. Did, did you find out anything over at Parvin's Pond? No, not much, I'm afraid. Could this Charlie Hart have had any reason for wanting Williams out of the organization and Adams and Bowers and Dalvers? Of course not. Yes. Yes, he could. What? Miss Gregg. What do you mean by that? 
Mr. Hart was the one who built up this company. The one who developed the products, put all his money in it. Now, just a minute. He's the one who sold all the product that made all the money. He and Mr. Adams were the ones who started the business. Is that true, Mr. Thomas? Yes, of course. And when Mr. Thomas and his relatives came along... Miss Gregg! What she says is true, Mr. Dollar. Charlie Hart and Ben Adams did start this business. They took on a couple of partners, Al Bowers and Frank Dalvers. They were the ones who decided on the expansion program came to us for the financing. With the others gone, it should have been Mr. Hart's company. Oh, wait, Miss Craig. Our financing made this present operation possible. But to imply that Charlie could have been driven by jealousy or, well, or any other motive to commit these crimes, that's absurd. How could you suggest such a thing, Miss Craig? I didn't say he did it. I only tried We know to... what you said, and you've said enough. Tell me one thing, Mr. Thomas. Yes? What happens to his share of the business when one of the partners dies? Or in this case... When he's murdered. Well, the other partners absorb his share. Then, if Charlie Hart eliminated one of you, it would add to his holdings. That's true. Okay, I'll see you later. But, Mr. Dollar, if you believe for one moment that Charlie Hart... Why, I've known him for years. Yeah? Well, I think I want to know him a little better. Act three of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. Do you know who said... Democracy is based upon the conviction that there are extraordinary possibilities in ordinary people. Those words came from the American religious leader, Harry Emerson Fosdick. From the earliest days of the United States of America, there has been the sentiment that the average person can achieve an important goal if he is given an environment in which he can develop his capabilities to the fullest extent an environment in which the individual is given the rights and privileges that he needs for development. It is the duty of every American to protect and stimulate this environment. Remember the words of Harry Emerson Fosdick. They are part of your American heritage. The extraordinary possibilities of ordinary people are inherent in American democracy. And now, act three of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, and the ugly pattern matter. It was pretty plain that Charlie Hart, supposedly next on the list of victims, had plenty of motive for eliminating some of his partners in the Simplex Tackle Company. I guess the same applied to any other member of the company. But he, having started the business, knew all about the others, their plans, their habits. And he'd been last seen just prior to the murder of James Williams. I got his address, hopped into my car, and drove back to Danbury. But ringing his bell and pounding on his door got me nothing. Here, here, young man. You want Mr. Hart to probably find him at the factory. Are you the building superintendent? That's right. Then I want you to let me into Mr. Hart's apartment. Well, now. All right, here. Here are my credentials. I'm an insurance investigator. Investigator? Yeah, here, see? Johnny Dollar, special. And if that isn't enough, here's a five spot for your trouble. Ten. Well, but now don't you let on. Okay, Dad, thanks. Hmm. Hmm. The same list that I got. The office. Huh? The offices of our company. Mr. Hart. That's right, Charlie Hart. Should have looked behind the door when you barged in here. Yeah, well, look, would you like to point that thing the other way, please? I'm sorry, Mr. Dollar, of course. 
Well, you know who I am. Yes, yes, I heard you through the door. All right, is that the gun that killed one of your partners? That killed one of my... No. But listen, tomorrow's another Wednesday. Wednesday, Mr. Dillon. I know. And look, look at that list you're holding. I finally realized the progression in which these murders are happening. Oh. On, on the basis of our salaries at the company. Adams, Bowers, Dolvers, and Williams or me. Yes, you've circled Williams' name. Yes, because he got it last week. That's why I'm staying in here, locked in. Because tomorrow, if the killer strikes again, that crazy maniac killer... Maybe. Or maybe that's what he'd like everyone to think. Charlie, a couple of questions. Anything. Anything if I can help you stop this. That company was once yours. Yes, that's right. You were the boss, the head man, until Hanley Thomas came along. Yes, Hanley and his brothers and his brother-in-law. And they took over as first in rank. Well, they were entitled to, Dollar. What? It was their money made the company what it is. I'm not an administrator, a, a man who knows and plays all the angles. I'm I'm just a worker and a salesman. Oh, now, wait a minute. You mean you, you're content with the present setup? Yes, yes, of course. In spite of the prodding of a sweet old secretary who thinks wait that I... Wait a minute. But these murders, Mr. Dowd. You stay put. Keep that gun and don't move out of this apartment until I tell you to, no matter who comes to the door, to save your life. You think you know... Charlie, who... it's been right under my nose. The obvious. Almost too obvious. But I had no proof of anything. Only a hunch, but a potent one. So how to prove it out? Bluff? It might work, if I was right. I drove into police headquarters and picked up Sergeant Dennis, then out to the Simplex Tackle Company. But when I walked in, it was after hours, no secretaries about. When I walked into the office, I borrowed the sergeant's handcuffs and made him wait outside as he had glued to the door. Well, Mr. Dollar, I didn't expect you back. <laughs> what do the handcuffs mean? They mean arrest for the murder of your partners? That's a very bad joke. You and your brothers and brother-in-law, the whole company yours, once you got rid of the men who started it, who made it possible for your capital to make it pay off. But tell me, were you going to kill off your relatives, too, one by one? This is the most absurd you thing. You covered your tracks pretty well. Perfect crimes, except for that ore you used to kill Williams. Fingerprints as big as life all over it. Impossible. I figured the gloves you wore must have had holes in them or have been worn very thin. What? That you just didn't notice in the excitement of the moment. And when I finally found those gloves... You've been out to my home, ransacking my And when my your home? wife confessed that you weren't at home at the time of any of the murders... That's a lie. She helped me plan the whole thing. Oh. Then you admit the murders. After my bluff about the fingerprint. I see. But now that you know, and you haven't had time to tell anyone... There. There's no one around to hear the shot, Mr. Dollar. Oh, but I heard a real clean uh, confession, Mr. Thomas. Sergeant, uh, I... No, no, that, that was just to protect myself from this... I'm afraid that kind of talk's a little late. No, no, it is. Look out! Sergeant, I haven't seen that fast a draw except on TV. That's where I learned it. There'll be a lot for the courts to work on about who else was involved with Thomas... The sergeant's bullet killed him, by the way, and I'd call it good riddance, or at least quick justice. So, expense account total, including a lot of mileage on my car, $101 even. Remarks? Why bother? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, originates in Hollywood and is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone, who also wrote today's story. Heard in our cast were Virginia Gregg, Les Tremaine, Forrest Lewis, Herb Vigran, Junius Matthews, and Frank Gerstle. Be sure to join us next week for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Roy Rowan speaking. everyone. The holiday season is upon us, and I'll be glued to the telly for BritBox on many a night. I've already shared with you the fact that I keep up with Father Brown and Poirot at BritBox. I also check out their new stuff, like the new series Archie, which tells the story of Archie Leach, otherwise known to millions of filmgoers as Cary Grant. This story comes from his daughter Jennifer Grant and ex-wife Diane Cannon. It's a series. The performance of Jason Isaacs, who plays Cary Grant, is top-notch. I highly recommend it. You can only find it on my favorite TV, BritBox. Sign up to BritBox today to stream Archie and other fan favorites today from any device. I have a special, limited-time offer for my U.S. and Canadian listeners. Get 50% off your first month when you sign up for a monthly plan, but only if you go to BritBox.com and use my promo code 1001STORIES at checkout. Don't wait. Get 50% off your first month. Just use promo code 1001stories at BritBox.com. Try it. You'll like it. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Fred Wills, Assurity Mutual Limited, Johnny. Oh, hi, Fred. What's on your mind? At the moment, San Francisco. Oh, nice town to have on your mind. What's new out there? That's what I hope you're going to tell me. What do you mean? Johnny, there's an importer out there named Andrew Foreman. We're carrying a $50,000 policy on his life. So? So have you ever heard of an importer getting exported? I don't get you, Fred. I'm afraid that's what's happened to Foreman. Last night he disappeared. I'm on my way. <laughs> Bob Bailey in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. And now, Act One of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Home Office Surety Mutual Limited, Hartford, Connecticut. 
Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the Blinker matter. Expense account item one, $178.50, transportation and incidentals to San Francisco. On the flight out, I studied the dope Fred Wills had sent me. Andrew Foreman, age 51, occupation, importer, health, good. Judging from the hefty premium he had to pay, his importing business must be okay. Wife, Marsha Foreman, age 35, 16 years younger than her husband. And Marsha was the sole beneficiary. My plane landed about 8 in the morning. An hour later, I was at the foreman's apartment. It was spacious, modern, with a lot of glass and the kind of view of the bay that you had to pay plenty for. Yeah, there was money written all over the place, and Marsha Foreman looked right at home. I'm just having coffee on the terrace, Mr. Dollar. Won't you join me? Oh, thanks. I could use some. Out here. You sure got a beautiful view here. Yes. I never get tired of watching the bay, the ships. There's always something going on. Oh, here you are. Thanks. What is it, Mr. Dollar? Oh, I'm just looking up the bay. Alcatraz? Yeah. Such a grim-looking place. Yeah, it's a real exclusive club. But I uh, managed to get a couple of new members into it. I don't think I care for the kind of job you have, Mr. Dollar. Trouble wherever you go. Suppose we talk about your troubles. All right. I told the police all I know when I filled out the missing persons report. But I'll go over it again for you. If you don't mind. Your husband disappeared the night before last. Yes, that's right. What time? I'm... I'm not sure. Oh? Around nine o'clock that night, somebody came to see him. Uh, A strange sort of man. How do you mean, strange? Well, he was dressed in rough clothes. a, A seaman's jacket. He said he was an old friend of my husband's. Did he give you his name, Mrs. Foreman? Only... Blinker. Blinker? Yes, he said that's what everybody called him. I guess because he kept blinking his eyes very rapidly. I see. Well, I showed this... uh, this Blinker person into the den where my husband was and left the two of them together. Uh A few minutes later, my husband came out and told me he was going to drive Blinker downtown and find him a hotel room. So I went to bed. I was tired and went right to sleep. And? Well, my husband and I have adjoining bedrooms... When I went in to call him yesterday morning, he was gone. The bed, it hadn't been slept in. I called his office, thinking he might have decided to work late. But they hadn't seen him. Then you called the police? Yes. Mrs. Foreman, had your husband ever mentioned this man Blinker before? No, I'm quite certain he hadn't. Can you describe him? Well, uh, he... He wasn't above medium height. Age, oh, maybe in the 40s. A scar on his right cheek, a thin nose, and dark, rather beady eyes. I'm afraid that's the best I can do. Well, considering that you only got a brief look at him, I'd say that was a pretty complete description. Mr. Dollar, do you think this person Blinker could have done anything to my husband? I don't know, but I'm sure the police are looking for him. Just one more question, Mrs. Foreman. Suppose Blinker had nothing to do with your husband's disappearance. I... I'm afraid I don't follow you. Oh, well, what I mean is... Can you think of any reason, any reason at all, why your husband might want to disappear? No, Mr. Dollar. Absolutely not. Marsha Foreman sounded pretty certain of that last answer. Maybe just a little bit too certain. Expense account item two, $1.80 cab fare to the office of an old friend of mine, Detective Lieutenant Scapella. 
Jono, if Foreman took this character Blinker to a hotel, it's no hotel we ever heard of. We've covered them all. You think Blinker could have killed Foreman? Uh, it's a possibility. What's another? Maybe there is no Blinker. Yes, yeah, Capel, I thought about that too. Jono, didn't it hit you there was something strange about Mrs. Foreman's story? She said she let Blinker in the apartment. She showed him to the den. Now, she could have only seen him a couple of minutes ago. Yet she rattled off a complete description of him. Yep. Sure is of me, Scapella, right between the eyes. And the way she described him. Yeah, I know. Seaman's jacket, beady, blinking eyes, scar on the right cheek. Oh, he sounds real distinctive. Real distinctive. Or real fake. Well, the trouble is, smelling a fake's one thing. Proving it's another. What have we got for a motive? For one thing, 50,000 bucks... She was Foreman's sole beneficiary. That's interesting. That's real interesting. Excuse me, Jim. Capella. Oh? Oh, yes. What? I see. Yes, okay. Yes, yes. All right, thanks, Mr. Arnold. John, it looks like we've got to back up and start all over. What do you mean? That was Wayne Arnold. That's Foreman's attorney. He had a telephone call this morning. From Foreman? No, but from somebody just as interesting. Blinker. Yeah, Blinker. Act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. And now, act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, and the Blinker Matter. Like Scapella said, we had to back up and start all over again. Just when we talked ourselves into thinking Marsha Foreman's story about Blinker was phony, her missing husband's lawyer phoned and told us he'd just heard from Blinker. Item three, seventy. cab fare to the office of Wayne Arnold, Foreman's attorney. I met him just coming out his door. Did you wish to see me? Mr. Arnold? Yes. I'm Johnny Dollar. Oh, yes, the insurance investigator. Mrs. Foreman told me you'd been questioning her. Look, I'm sorry, but I'm in rather a hurry. I have an appointment and I'm late for it. Sorry, but this will only take a minute or two. I was in Lieutenant Scapella's office when you phoned a while ago about this man Blinker, Mr. Arnold. Oh, yes. When did you hear from him? Just a little while ago. I called Marsha Foreman right away and she thought I ought to call Scapella. What did Blinker say on the phone? It was a strange conversation. He sounded nervous, excited, almost out of breath. Said he wanted money, $10,000. If he didn't get it, he'd... And that's as far as he got. He stopped suddenly, said he'd contact me later, then hung up. What do you make of it, Mr. Dollar? I don't know. Could be he's holding Foreman for ransom. That's what it sounded like to me. I take it you don't know this blinker. I never heard of him until Marsha told me about him showing up night before last. Okay. Uh, just one more thing, Mr. Arnold. How long have you been Foreman's attorney? Hmm? Three, four years? Why? Any reason you know of why he might want to disappear? None that I can think of. Another woman, maybe? I doubt it very much. How about his importing business? As far as I know, it's in excellent shape. Okay. Thanks, Mr. Arnold. Uh, Mr. Dollar. Yeah? This man Blinker, why would he have it in for Andrew Foreman? Good question, Arnold. Sorry I don't have an answer to it. I went down the elevator and outside. I stopped at the corner to get some cigarettes, and that was my first lucky break. Because just as I was leaving the counter, I saw Arnold come outside. 
And the way he looked up and down the street made it plain he wanted to see if anybody was watching him. He got into his car and drove off. I grabbed a taxi. That's item four and trailed him. He drove into Golden Gate Park and stopped. I got out down the road and worked my way toward him behind some bushes. Pretty soon, a woman came over and got into his car. I couldn't hear what they were saying, but I didn't need to. Because when I saw the kiss, I got the message. The woman was Marcia Foreman. I went back into town and waited for Marcia outside her apartment door. She showed up about half an hour later. What? Why, Mr. Dollar. What is it? Is something wrong? Yeah, something's real wrong, Mrs. Foreman. I want to talk to you. All right. Come in. But I've already told you all I know. The story you told me about this man, Blinker. There's no such person, is there? What? You and Arnold made it up. I know that's not true. What about you and Arnold, Mrs. Foreman? I, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, then tell me, did you enjoy your visit with him in Golden Gate Park an hour ago? Oh, that. Yeah. Well, all right, Mr. Dollar. Wayne Arnold and I have... Well, we've been in love for some time. Did your husband know? I'm not sure. We were trying to find the right time to tell him. I don't think he'd really have cared very much. Oh. My husband and I haven't gotten along very well the last year or two. I guess I really didn't know him when I married him. Mr. Dollar, this has nothing to do with my husband's disappearance. You must believe that. That's so. I didn't make up the story about Blinker. I didn't kill my husband, if that's what you're thinking. Has he been killed? I... I don't know. You, you've got me confused. If you didn't do it, how about Arnold? No. He'd have no reason. Besides, he wasn't even in town the night before last. I can check that. I know you can. <sighs> Mrs. Foreman, maybe you're telling me the truth and maybe you're not. Sooner or later, I'm going to find out which. I am telling you the truth. Then can you give me any reason at all why your husband has disappeared? There's... There's one possibility, Mr. Dollar... It might have something to do with his importing business. What's that mean? My husband... Well, he seems to have made a lot of money out of his importing business. More than the kind of thing he usually imports would warrant. What does he import? Oh, trinkets, curios. From the Orient, mostly. Have you a key to your husband's office? Yes. Let me have it. I want to take a look around. I went over the papers in Foreman's office and found out his last shipment had come in three days ago on the Indian Princess. Mrs. Foreman had said Blinker was wearing a seaman's jacket. I headed for the waterfront, but the ship was gone. Near the pier was a beat-up eating place called Gus's Cafe. A woman with an apron came over. She was about six feet tall and almost that wide. What can I do for you, buddy? I want to talk to the owner, Gus. That's me. Your Gus? Short for Gussie. What's on your mind, buddy? Johnny, Johnny Dollar. I want some information. You a cop, buddy? No, I'm not a cop. You look like a cop. Now, listen, that freighter that shoved off from this pier, the Indian Princess. Docks there regular. You know any of the sailors from her? Just about all of them. They all come in here. Hey, look, Gussie. Gus. Okay, Gus. You ever happen to hear of a sailor named Blinker? Sure. You know him? Sure. About medium height, scar on the right cheek, blinks his eyes all the time? I said I know him. What do you want, an affidavit? Oh, Gussie, you're the most beautiful thing that's happened to me all day. Mm, that's what they all tell me, buddy. Flattery don't get him a thing. Might help you, though. You're kind of cute. Uh, yeah. Look, did Blinker sail on the Indian Princess? Nope. Then where is he? Fact is, I don't know. Blinker's disappeared. Act three of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. 
And now, Act Three of yours truly, Johnny Dollar and the Blinker Matter. Then you don't have any idea where Blinker is now, Gus? Not the slightest, buddy. Oh, great. And I'm right back where I started from. Blinker was mixed up in something, all right. What do you mean? The Indian princess docked the other night. Blinker come in here for a cup of coffee. That's one thing the sailors around here all miss when they're out to sea. My coffee. There's no one makes coffee like me. Why, there's nobody on the whole yeah, coast. Yeah, yeah, I know. About Blinker now. Well, he seemed pretty pleased with himself. Said he was on to something good. Did he say what he meant by that? No. Just sat there looking pleased with himself. Oh, yeah. He showed me the elephant. Said it was going to make him a lot of money. What elephant? He had a carved elephant about six inches high. Must have picked it up somewhere. Maybe he was going to sell it. I don't know. Hmm. Foreman imported curios from the Orient. His last shipment came in on the Indian princess. That elephant could have been part of it. Foreman? Who's he? Uh, never mind. Well, I wonder where I go from here. I wonder what I'm going to do with all Blinker's stuff if he don't show up for it. Maybe I'm... What did you say about Blinker's stuff? What stuff? I got a back room where I let the boys keep their gear when they're ashore. You've got Blinker's things there now? Sure have. Why didn't you tell me? You never asked me. In the back room, I went through Blinker's sea bag. Near the bottom, I found a carved elephant. An ordinary-looking elephant. Until I twisted one of the legs loose. It was hollow. And inside, a little paper packet full of white powder. Suddenly, the whole deal slid into place, and just as suddenly, the whole deal made me slightly sick. Now I wanted to see the rest of those elephants real bad. According to the records in Foreman's office, the shipment was in a warehouse. I went outside and over to the pier. Johnny. What? Oh, Gus. Come here a minute, Johnny. Look, look, I'm in a hurry. Thanks for everything. I'll see you later. You've got time to see this. Over here, near the pier. Wait a minute. Yep. The body, all right. One of the boys just fished it out of the water. I sent him to call the cops. Looks like it's been in the water quite a few hours. Gus? Yep. It's Blinker, all right. I knew I had to work fast now. I headed out on the pier for the warehouse. Once I thought I heard footsteps somewhere behind me. I stopped and listened. There was no sound. dark inside the warehouse, but with the help of matches, I located Foreman's shipment. I took a crowbar and opened one of the crates. It was full of carved elephants. I picked up one of them. Yeah, it had a hollow leg, and the hollow leg was full of the same white powder. I hit the floor fast. The shot had come from over near the door. I eased my gun out and waited. Five, ten minutes went by. I kept quiet. Then suddenly a shadow loomed up near the crates. We saw each other at the same time. Oh, oh, my shoulder. Oh, well. The missing man himself, Andrew Foreman. Look, I... Linker found out what you were importing in those carved elephants. He tried to blackmail you. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, sure, sure. You probably told him you'd pay off. That's when you drove him downtown night before last. Then you tried to kill him, but he must have got away. I tell you... You called your lawyer, tried to put the squeeze on through him. But he had to hang up in a hurry. You were probably getting close. You finally caught up with him, didn't you, Foreman? Look, you, you've got no proof of anything. 
Why should Blinker try to blackmail me? Like I say, he found out about the narcotics in those hollow elephants. It was put there without my knowledge. You have no proof I was involved. You know, Foreman, it doesn't much matter. You've got even bigger troubles than that staring you in the face. I, I don't understand. Blinker's body has been recovered from the bay. I wouldn't know anything about that. You've got no proof of that either. No. There were two bullet holes in Blinker. Five will get you ten. The slugs in him came from this gun of yours. The gun? Yeah. This is something that can be proved. Well? Uh, all right. I just didn't have any choice. Item five, $183 even, transportation and incidentals home. Expense account total, $434.50. Remarks? Andrew Foreman made a complete statement to the police. The murder case against him is open and shut. So, it looks like he's going to beat the narcotics rap after all. The hard way. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.